in my heart, I just feel like, man, I don't want to just sing that. I want to experience it. I want to experience the revival that could heal our communities and our world so that I don't have to wake up grieving like this so frequently. I want God to move. And I want him to heal lives and to change people. I don't want to just have church as usual and wake up and isolate ourselves in our Christian corners. And Oh, man, I want to experience the powerful, earth-shaking move of God that when I open up the pages of Scripture, I see so clearly. Those aren't stories to me. I wouldn't devote my life to some random stories. That's the reality that I hope that everybody can and will experience. And that's, that's a reality that I pray that the families right now in El Paso and in Dayton, that they are experiencing today, that the Holy Spirit moves and he comforts and heals the way that it was promised that he would. But also, man, can I just say, I'm so grateful that I'm part of a church that refuses to just do church as usual in moments like this. The Bible says that we are supposed to mourn with others. And I'm so glad to be a part of a church community that will grieve and mourn and will cry with our sisters and brothers when they experience hardship and pain. Thank you so much for not being so self-centered that you decided to come here and pour your hearts out to God on behalf of the people that um, have experienced such a loss. Can you imagine just shopping or hanging out and eating with your friends and family? I, I couldn't sleep last night just, just thinking about how it's not a war zone. It's people just living everyday life doing things that we do so frequently and that we take for granted. And 29 people, and dozens more, killed and injured. Wow. And the amazing thing is that as we are working through this series, I've got today commandment number six, which is you shall not murder. And um, I, I did a lot of work. I've had some time. I mean, it's been over a month since I preached. And so I've been preparing for this. Um, you know, I, I had notes and pages. George, I would have been here for a while. Like, I was, I was planning on really digging in. I, I, I pulled every resource and read every article that I could. And uh, I even pulled back and said, oh, I got time. I got another couple of weeks. I've got another week. And, and uh, come Thursday, I was like, all right, I'm going to just about wrap it up so it's just fresh, fresh on me. And, um, and I woke up Friday morning trying to put the final touches. And I'm like, I'll, I'll put it off until... Sunday, Sunday evening, so I can kind of rest and sit in it and, and meditate so that, you know, I, I'd have a, a fresh, fresh idea and understanding of where we're going. And then yesterday, I'm sitting at my daughter's basketball game, 
And at halftime, I, I pulled out my phone and, and I launched my news app and, and, and I saw what had just happened in El Paso. And I was like, God, I don't have anything to say for that. As a matter of fact, I don't even know what do you say for that. What I will say is that I spend a lot of time, so I open the news app and, and I watch a lot of news, a number of networks. I, I will say that what we're experiencing is, is bigger than the political issues and ideas that have been argued on news networks and amongst politicians. This, this isn't about the NRA. This isn't about the Second Amendment. I mean, we, we cheapen these conversations when we allow them to be polarizing about political agenda. This is about life. And whenever life is cheapened to a conversation about how we vote or who influences voting, then we who argue about those things don't value life just the same as those whom we point the finger of blame at for making them political issues. And whatever my political stance may be, and I've voiced it a number of times here, when I saw the people crying and weeping on television yesterday, I care less about how I vote. I just want those people to be okay. And I want my daughter to live in a world where she doesn't have to be fearful of going places and someone taking her life for the lives of her friends. And I want to go out with my family and enjoy spaces. I want to hang out with you and not be concerned about certain things. Man, this conversation, it must be bigger and we as the body of Christ cannot we cannot be drawn into that conversation. Whichever way that you lean, please lean to the cross. Don't allow any political figure to tell you that they, they properly represent Scripture in Christ because none of them do. As a matter of fact, man, this is exactly what this commandment is talking about. The commandment of you shall not murder, here's what Dr. Bruckner says. It simply says this, the sixth command protects against the community's bondage to violence. Her bondage to violence, a violent culture. God says, I am the Lord your God, the Lord who delivered you out of the hands of the house of Egypt. I am the Lord who has set you free, and it is my hope that my people live in a free community where they do not have to fear the injustice of their lives or their family members' lives being taken. Therefore, you shall not murder. If there is a way to paraphrase or fully encompass the commandment, that's exactly what it would say to us. That he wants us to live in a place where we are free and not fearful of violence. But also, it also talks about, one scholar mentions that it talks about the things that create a culture of violence and that we've got to be cognizant of the things that lead to these violent acts as well. We've got to 
we got to look and see what is it that's been promoted that's creating those things. And so I would say that what creates culture of violence isn't guns or an access to guns. We've got to talk about the things in the hearts, the messages that come that allow guns to be used to take and create such violent acts. But then I'd say, you know, if you're one who'll be like, man, listen, you know, then, you know, guns, guns aren't necessarily a bad thing. Like, we, we shouldn't, well, whatever, I, I could care less about guns. It's, well, have them, I don't have them. It's not my argument. It's, it's the, the enslavement of the things that we are suffering from. So I don't care that people have guns. I care that Patrick Crucius has a gun. It's the young man who killed the people in El Paso, or Dylan Roof, or Ian David Long, or Gary Martin, or Nicholas Cruz, or Stephen Paddock, and the list goes on and on and on. Did you know that um, El Paso and Dayton, this is August, the beginning of August, were the 249th and 250th mass shooting this year? Let that sit in to 250 mass shootings, mass killings this year. And what's amazing to me is, just allow me just one moment, Patrick Crucius drove from a suburb of Dallas nine hours to the border city of El Paso to specifically and intentionally target immigrants, people of color. He drove nine hours. What has to be in your heart to drive nine hours to create such an act? But also, he wasn't an immigrant, he wasn't Muslim, he wasn't here illegally, he hadn't trekked through South America and Mexico to illegally cross the border. No, he was an American white male who grew up in the suburbs who specifically targeted people and the messages that we constantly hear is the people that he targeted are the bad people. So when I think about God's command, I think about the culture that creates those things. And so back to the commandment. It's pretty, it's pretty cut and dry. I promise you I'm going to go somewhere. Just give me a moment. It's pretty cut and dry. Basically, when God speaks to the people, he says, you shall not murder. Um, there's really no other way to interpret it. In every translation of Scripture, every language, it pretty much means the same thing. Uh, God does not like us or desire for us to live in a world where people take the lives of other people unjustly. That word unjustly is, is, is intentional right there because there are times where God does okay the taking of a life. And it's namely in, in, in places like war, situations such as that. Now, if you're like me, I even have an issue with that uh, because I often think about the motivations of wars, that 
what we read historically isn't always the same as what we experience in our contemporary times. So I, I have a problem there. That's, that's my issue. It may not be yours, but that's something that I wrestled with as I was trying to uh, put this all together. But what I will say is this. The taking of lives is not the entirety of the argument that God is talking about here within this passage. It's not, it's not just about the taking of life. It's about the reality or the fact where life comes from. When God is saying, thou shalt not or you shall not murder, it is not just rooted or it's not just fully about taking one life unjustly. It's about the source of life and how that life was there in the first place, mainly being that all humanity was created in the image of God. And the only reason that there is life is because God gave life. So God's issue with murder is not about lives being taken. It's about the fact that the lives that have been taken reflect his image. And who reflects his image? Every mother's child reflects the image of God. God does not want us to live in a world where we harm, hurt, and take the lives of people who are image bearers. And so every living being was created in the image of God, and all life, that means that all life belongs to God and God alone. And here's what's pretty cool. Did you know the one thing that makes humanity unique, that makes us as people unique from all of God's creation, the thing that makes us unique, is we are the only ones with that claim. We are the only ones with the claim that we have been shaped and molded in the image and the likeness of God. No other parts or pieces of creation have that claim. You can look at the planet. You can look at the animals. You can look at the angels. Us, human, humanity, we are the only ones who have that unique claim that we were created in the image of God, which means that you and I have this unique ability to have fellowship and communion with God. So when God says you shall not murder, what he's wanting us to be clear and understand is that while we are here on this earth, our responsibility is to make sure that all of humanity has the right, as they have been created to, to experience fellowship and community with God. And whenever we rob people of that opportunity to have fellowship and communing with God, there is the space where we actually break the sixth commandment. We are image bearers. And so when you consider that then, that of everything that he created and everything that he's done, if God chose sinful you and I to bear his image so that he could have communion with us, then how special are you to God? Like you've got to be tremendously special that of all the works of his hands, he said, you, I choose you to bear my image. What does it mean to bear God's image? It simply means this, that we are like God on earth. We are a reflection of him. We are his representations on the planet. And of all that he has created, he said, that's how special you are to me, that I want you to be like me on the planet. Reflect my image. Be a representation, an advocate. Be, be me on the planet. God chose, God chose you. God chose you. You are just that special to him. 
that God says, I choose you. And in fact, man, before God even gave that commandment that we should not murder, he spoke about how special we were and how important it is to his people. If you go to Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, you'll see God as he is establishing his covenant with Noah. Listen to what he says. He says, whoever sheds the blood of a human by a human shall that person's blood be shed, for in his image God made humankind. So long before these commandments were given, God, God told Moses, man, this is our Noah, this is how special humankind is to me. You're so special that I have a, such a high value of your life that the only way that that life can be accounted for is by another human life. Or another way to word it is God places such a high value on human life, such a high value on human life that we will be judged based upon how we value and treat other humans on this planet. That's how much God values life. God values life so much that how you look, how you treat, how you think about, how you talk about, and how you overlook even, not just murder, and I'm a great pointed out in Scripture, how you treat your neighbors, you'll be judged upon that. So one of the ways that we can do is, is when we're talking about what it means to be an image bearer, I always like to look at it like this. To be an image bearer is basically to look at your neighbors and say, oh, and you're an image bearer too. You're an image bearer too because we, we oftentimes look at ourselves and say that I have been shaped and formed in the image of God. And that's great. That's wonderful. But we also have to always recognize that our sisters and our brothers whom we see each and every day, they are image bearers Two, T-O-O, they are image bearers too, which means my vanilla brothers and sisters, you have been created in the image of God, but you have to remember that people of color, immigrants, and people from other spaces are image bearers too. And all of us have to remember, those of us who have been blessed enough to experience the fruitfulness of living in these here yet to be United States, that those who are seeking asylum because they live in violent countries where they do not know if their children will live to see tomorrow as they're trying to make their ways here, we've got to recognize that they are image bearers too. And men, as we enjoy the fruits of a male-dominated culture, we've got to recognize that our sisters who have been paid pennies on the dollars, that they are image bearers too. And no, don't let me get to talking about sexuality. It does not matter whom somebody loves. They are image bearers too. Did you know, did you not know that there are transgender women all across the country, missing and dying, and there's not a word that's said about them. Hundreds of them, not one, not two, hundreds, disappearing. And when you cut on the news, they're going to be talking about the fact that 45 told somebody to go back to their home state because they're from here. The people are dying and we're missing the conversation because we're talking about things that aren't really important. 
God says, I want you to value people's lives. And the church, the church is so consumed with comfort, convenience, and capitalism that we would prefer to speak and preach sermons that will fill butts in our seats rather than speaking the truth of the gospel. And that is simply this, that we ought to love our sister and our brother the way that God loves us. You too are made in the image of God. So the reality then is that this commandment isn't talking about the loss of life. It's talking about life. God wants us to live in a world where our life matters, where our life has value. If I can be transparent, man, as as, as I was preparing leading up uh, to Saturday, I I was trying my best, man, to, to avoid much of the political conversation here, I, I was trying to stay away from it. I was, I was going to kind of dance around it. Uh, and, and not because I was afraid of offending somebody, because if you know me, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try to offend you more than I'll try not to. Um, not really that concerned about feelings. Um, and, uh, but I, I, was, I was really trying not to overly politicize this, this message because I, 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 wanted, I wanted us to, to focus just on something, or to be honest, I'm just tired. I'm, I'm tired of trying to convince people that when we have these conversations, that I'm not having this conversation from a left angle, which is what I've been called. A um, guy emailed me and said, I'm one of the most liberal pastors he's ever met, and um, I'm not going to tell you how I responded. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of trying to convince people that I, I, don't, I don't take my cues from anybody but Scripture. And, and the only reason that I care is because when I flip open the pages and I read the Bible comprehensively, I see no place, no space where I can exclude anybody. Amen, Zoe. <laughs> and so, Jesus, throughout the entirety of the Bible, makes it clear that it's, it's, not, it's not about death. It, it's about life. I'll, I'll make my point with a couple of scriptures. Matthew 5, 21 through 22 says this. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, you will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Here's specifically what Jesus is talking about right there. He's talking about, let's define the terms. Raka is, is a Hebrew word that simply means empty-headed. Empty-headed. It's talking about intelligence uh, or the lack thereof. Fool is the word in Greek. It is moros. Moros, where we get our word moron from. Jesus is saying anytime that you judge 
mistreat someone based upon their intellectual or lack of intellectual capability that you will be judged like that of a murderer. How you treat people matters. Yeah, when you walk out the door, just because somebody doesn't think like you do, because somebody makes mistakes, maybe because some type of addiction has, has, has gone and it has hindered their, their ability or some of the disabled people that we deal with on a regular basis, if you don't show them the honor and respect as though they were created in the image of God, Jesus says, you will be judged based upon that. It's not just about taking life. It's about how you treat life. Also, check this out. One of my favorite passages, kind of lengthy, so let me read it for you. In, in, in Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 34, this is what he says. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance prepared for you since the creation of the world. Check out what he says. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick and you look after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger invited you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see the sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers and my sisters, you did for me. There's another side of the coin though. It doesn't just start there. Go to the next verse. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry. I was sleeping up under the expressways in downtown Louisville. And you simply shook your head and drove on by. I was standing at the edge of the exit from the expressway with a sign, and you were so concerned wondering if I was a drug addict or not and what I was going to do with the money that you drove on by me. Lord, where was I at? When, when did I miss you? I was standing on the corner of 4th and Oak out of my mind. You never invited me in to your building that you worked so hard to have air and heat. You never invited me into the love that you said that you stood for. For those people, Jesus said, I will say to you, away from me, you workers of iniquity, I've never known you. It's not about taking life. It's about valuing life. I'm not done. 1 John 3.15, all who hate a brother or a sister are murderers. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding, abiding in them. Which means, that's why I love Joshua's prayer this morning. Because Joshua didn't just pray for those of us who are on the sin or the side of the victims, grieving as we should be. But Joshua recognized that the persons who created the crimes are bearers of his image too. And we can't hate them. We can't hate 45. 
We can't hate Moscow, Mitch. We can't hate any of those persons. Because they were created in his image, too. And I, I said to this man, I couldn't sleep last night. I said to this man, I was going to open up James, and he was going to talk about the tongue in chapter 3 and how the tongue, when your, your tongue and how it murders people who are buried in his image. I was going to go, but I didn't want to hit you too hard this morning. I was going to keep going. I was going to run it through. But the point is not that. The point is that I want you to understand that how we treat people matters to God. And that Jesus promised a certain type of world. He says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What the enemy hopes is this, is that we will not see the value of human life. That we will get caught up in political arguments and conversations that have nothing to do with people's lives, nothing to do with how people are lived or the lack thereof, nothing to do with concentrated poverty that is starving our children, that is hindering them from getting a good education, that is keeping people from upward mobility on this planet. We'll get caught up in those things without looking at our sisters and brothers, regardless of where they come from, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their immigration status, and we'll get so caught up in those conversations that we will not look at those who are on the borders and see that there are babies living in concentration camps and we're having conversations that's not about life. It's about life. And life matters to God. I wasn't going to politicize this, but life matters to God. If you're pro-life, brothers and sisters, you got to be pro-life from the womb to the tomb. You cannot say a baby can't be born, oh, and execute him in the same breath. That's hypocritical at best. From the womb to the tomb, life must matter because it matters to God. And if we could only See, each and every person on the planet as though they were created in the image of God. Here's what God desired when he opened up this command, when he exposed this law to his children. God said, listen, I desire for my children to live in a world where they walk next to one another. And regardless of their background, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of how they live, where they come from, how they speak, their education, any of those things, to walk next to them and recognize, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. I don't speak like you. I don't understand your background. But hey, you are a child of God. And because you are a child of God, I honor you the same way that I honor Honor God for our relationship start here and when we've got the vertical relationship with God on point then it impacts how we interact horizontally therefore if there is hate in your heart and if there is if there is some type of envy or anger against people who are not like you my brothers and sisters your issue is not with the person in front of you your issue is with the creator because they're his creation We were created in the image of God. And each and every one of us, I just got happy for a moment. The Holy Spirit just spoke something to me. Check this out. That must be the cross. Because if the only way that we can satisfy the wrath of God 
It's through the cross of Jesus, through his suffering on Calvary's cross. And if the only way that God says that sin can be atoned for is by the blood of Jesus Christ, and if God spoke to Noah and says that when a life is taken, the only thing that can heal that moment will be another life, that has to be why Jesus got up on the cross. That he had to get up on the cross because he recognized that you and I will never get it right. And rather than leaving it to ourselves and rather than leading us to our own inhibitions, Jesus decided to cloak himself in human flesh and let us know what it looks like to walk the planet without sin and to treat everybody as though they were created in the image of God. And when they couldn't do it anymore and when he recognized that man didn't have the strength to work it out on his own, Jesus says, I'll know what I'll do. I'll let them falsely accuse me. I'll let them take me into their prison hands. I'll let them have a false card in my name. I'll let them beat me until I'm unrecognizable. I'll let them hang me on a cross and mock me. I'll let them spit in my face and I will let them bury me in a borrowed tomb. But in three days I'll get up and I'll save them from all their sins. That has to be the reason for the cross. Because without the cross we can't make it. And without the power of the cross, we will continue to be swung to each and every side and missing what Jesus wants us to do. And that is to love our sisters and our brothers, regardless of our background, unconditionally. And if we as the church don't model that, let's close our doors. Come on, stand to your feet. Grab the hand of your neighbor. Close a little differently today. I, um, if you need personal prayer, um, we'll be here. Uh, I'll be here. Josh, will you raise your hand? And Kat, raise your hand. Um, they'll, they'll be there for you. Um, the worship team's going to lead us, but Stephanie, come on up, please. more time, lead us in prayer, and then Scooby, let's just leave from here singing, okay? I don't know if I can pray. God just teaches us how to love. We think we know, but we don't. teach us how to love the way that you love us. Heal the broken places in our hearts where we've not been loved. 
heal us with your love. God, let us be the part of your body that loves deeply, that loves one another with unconditional love. Your word says they will know us when we love one another. And so, God, I pray that we will love one another so well that it will just become contagious all across our city. Teach us, God. Teach us how to love our brothers and sisters who worship across the street. Show us how to love the the broken people that we encounter every time we come into our doors. Give us creative and holy insight into how we can pray for them and be present in their lives and let us not be afraid of the messy. Let us be willing to go into the mess because you're worthy and because you're worthy, they're worthy. God, we just... We ask that your spirit would just pulsate all throughout this city, God, into every heart and every dark place, chasing out the enemy everywhere he has a stronghold. And start right here in this place, God. The strongholds that are in our lives, God, we just, we need you to come and break those off so that we can Commune with you in a more pure and deep way, God. Let our faith arise and help us, God, to love better, to love like you love. I just feel like if you, if you feel like there's barriers in your life to love, like you struggle to love, I just want to invite you to come forward, not for any other purpose. I just want you to know you're not alone. And I want to lift a prayer just specifically for you, just that God would heal your heart and heal the brokenness in your life that has caused you to feel like you aren't able to love or you're not able to be loved. I feel like almost everybody in the room could really come forward. I mean, honestly, am I wrong? I mean, let's all come forward. That way, let's just all, everybody come and fill. Because I just feel like we all have brokenness that really fits that category. And just continue to hold hands. Just come forward, continue to hold hands. And hug necks, whatever feels comfortable to you. And... Come forward more so people can come in and fill in behind you. The enemy is is out for us that, that we would not be who God has called us to be. He's out for us that we would not be the ones that love deeply and love unconditionally. 
And so I want you to pray for the person on your right and on your left as I pray that God would heal the places in their heart, the wounds in their heart that keep them from being able to be loved and the the wounds in their heart that keep them from being able to love. And if anybody here does not know that Jesus loves you, I'm telling you right now, he died so you could live. It's not an accident that you're here this morning. He planned it because he wants to make sure you know how important you are to him. And so he also wants to love you and let you know that you matter. Remember, so you're praying for the people on your right and your left that God would heal them so that they can be loved and so they can give love. All right, let's pray. You give love.